This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that, or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. And you can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Panister and Bruce in the queue again. Bruce! Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh and he has a no! Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And the man who thinks that Andy Gray and Richard Keyes are doing their best punditry now, it's Michael Marden. Hello. For the record, that is not true. <laughs> Did you read the interview with them in The Athletic? No. I, I could read Richard Keyes forever because he's he's so transparent. He's so timeless. Well, it's just like, actually, uh, we get more viewers now than when we did in the UK, so I'm happier now, so I'm, I'm glad I got sacked. So. Uh, you know so who's the real losers? <laughs> I think I'm going full circle and I'm liking him again. Because he's, he's, just, he's just so route one. He's, he's so transparent, it's pathetic. <laughs> Yeah, Qatar's actually really nice. It's more sunny than the UK, so... <laughs> he fawns over the Qataris the way that Steve Barnes fawns over Sir Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have a big announcement. Next year, we are doing another live show after the success of last year at Hackney Empire when we did two nights there. We will be returning to the live circuit. Chris, where and when? We are delighted to say we are returning to Madchester, as it was known in the 90s, Manchester. That's on Monday. Salford. Salford. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's the same, same. it's the same. It's the same, okay, fine. Uh, Monday. Don't write in if it's not the same, (laughs) but come on. Monday, the 16th of November, (gasps) 2020. Quickly Kevin is coming live to the big room at the Lowry Theatre in Salford. Tickets go on sale to our pre-sale, to people on our mailing list. Tuesday 17th of December and they'll go on general sale on the 19th of December to get in with that pre-sale you need to sign up to our mailing list go to quicklykevin.com you'll get a link you'll be able to get those pre-sale tickets sign up now sign up to the pre-sale if you want to play the lottery go on Thursday 19th of December (laughs) don't come crying to me if there's none left Um, it's the usual uh, shtick Uh, there'll be a celebrity guest our live show guests in the past have included Alex Brooker Matt Ford Barry Fry Alan Smudger-Smith David May yeah, so it's going to be the greatest. And the big thing, of course, a screen. A screen. The, the visual medium really comes into its own in these live shows. So sign up to our mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Now, Michael, how's it going in the hit parade? <laughs> yeah, it's going. So <laughs> we, or I, rather foolishly, had decided that I thought we could get Quickly Kevin into the Christmas Top 40 Hubris. charts. <laughs> yes, it was. Partly because I thought I had an extra week to do it. Can I just Inter- ask a question about the charts? Yeah. Someone said to me that they listened to the top 40 for the first time in ages. And because it included streaming, it was just like all the Christmas songs. Right. 
Really? That's yeah, like Fairytale wow. of the New York was in the top ten. Right. That's well, well, the last they've released I mean, it. it. Well, that sounds like there's more competition now than there's ever been for a Christmas quarter. <laughs> so I'd say that's bad news. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this has the potential <laughs> to go very badly. But, well, it does, it does. It does. It's only got the worst case scenario. It's got the potential to just disappear without trace. <laughs> yeah. And I would still find that very I'd funny. I'd say the worst thing that could happen possibly would be that we get to number one. <laughs> <laughs> I actually say that'd be worse. <laughs> Would we go on Top of the Pops? Yeah, I think we Good would. Christmas say. Day, Top of the Pops. Well, basically, I thought I had an extra week, but today, this is the first day of chart eligibility. So, this week on either Tuesday or Wednesday, we will be releasing our Quickly Kevin Christmas song. We need you to go out there and buy the song. It's out the there. Song, our price. Go. MVC. Yeah. <laughs> buy cassette, CD. <laughs> This week we'll announce it on social media and our mailing list. And if you want to see a song that features lyrics about a drifter feath, David Batty, Glenn Hoddle and Eileen Drury, and many, many more Quickly Kevin favourites. If you want to see that track bothered here, the UK Christmas Top 40 charts, then you know what to do. At the time of recording, there are two variations of the song. One of which is the Eddie McGoldrick song, which I'm not going to lie, is only half finished. If that doesn't get... You've just, just, just got I the just, vocals. Yeah. <laughs> the backup version is a 90s football version of the 12 oh, Days of lovely. Christmas, which is lovely. It's a yeah. wonderful little song. Very exciting. Get on iTunes now or wherever you buy your music. OK, now. Correspondence? Yes. yes. You've got mail. This is from Ben Joycey. Hi, guys. When I was young and used to go on holiday to Spain with my family, I could sometimes convince my dad to buy me Spanish football magazines under the guise of them being educational. On the whole, there's much less frivolity than match or shoot, but Don Ballon from August 1996 has a Q&A with Real Sociedad player Augustin Arathabal, which has some interesting moments. Now, I've printed this out, but I haven't attached... It is real, OK? Because you're going to question the veracity of this, which is 100% real. Obviously, questions like number 17, his favourite food, rice. Favourite musicians, question 31, cranberry metallicas. Question 56, does he prefer disco or bingo? Answer, disco. Are interesting enough. Most importantly, though, question 45. Does he think AIDS is a divine punishment? What? Who's put this together? Wow. To which he replied, it can be. (laughs) What? Isn't that awful? Oh, God. I don't remember Matt asking that question. Love the podcast. Please ask more age-related questions to your guests, though, Ben. Isn't that absolutely mind-blowing? Wow. That's bizarre. Different time. Told you, one of the the most astonishing bits of correspondence we've ever had. (laughs) Okay, now. Logan Newington. Following on from your Derby Kit campaign correspondence. Do you remember the one where Tosh Lyons promoted the Derby Kit? Uh, I share a link to the Brighton one from 97-98. Here you'll see we didn't just get one celeb throughout the season, but three, and only one had any connection to Brighton. Here's the link. Advert number one. I don't know how Brighton, who are in League Two or whatever, finance this. Advert number one is the pop star Louise. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. With the caption, Louise gets her kit off. Dot, dot, dot. The club shop. <laughs> <laughs> Different time. Isn't that astonishing? Why is Louise doing that? Louise and Jamie viewed my uncle's house in Sandbanks, Dubai, around that time, like 97. Brighton's not that far down the coast. Harry Redknapp's south coast. It's in the area. You might go, your agent might go, oh, why are you down there looking at this house? Do you want to do a photo shoot for Brighton FC? (laughs) Um, I've got to say as well, the sponsor is Sandtex. Sandtex. What is that? And the kit maker's Super League, which (laughs) we've had for one year. Then below, another throw of the money, Lenny Henry. (laughs) Gets, with the caption, Lenny gets his kit off, dot, 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 the club shop, for less, sale. Wow. So they've done a sale at the club shop and they brought in Lenny Henry. And also Lenny's got the shorts on. He's got the full kit. Full kit. Who at Brighton is pulling these strings? Yeah, I, I, now I can't join the dots. Imagine how excited they were by this campaign. What, that, what is the explanation for that? If you if you know, get in touch, hello at quicklykevin.com. Um, best or worst kit launches in the 90s? I don't think this has come up before, really good kit launches like this, is it? No. Uh, Rachel Bradley. Hi, guys. Following your spot about soap stars modelling new kits pre-season ep 6, I was reminded of something I found out recently about my beloved Gillingham FC. 
So we're talking about Gillingham today. I thought this would be appropriate. Nice. This combines my love of 90 football with my love of Saturday night TV. So you can imagine my excitement when I find none other than Wolf from Gladiators once featured for Gillingham in a reserve game in 1994. No. What? Is that pre-Gladiators? Wolf, a.k.a. Michael Van Wick. No, it would have been post-Gladiators. That was a 92. Mm. Uh, played 73 minutes against Cambridge United's reserves before going off injured. According to Wikipedia, the match attracted a crowd ten times the average of the club's normal reserve games. Because of Wolf. Because Wolf was playing. The Wolfie effect. Why was why don't we know that Wolf played for Gillingham Reserves? I can't believe it's only just come up. Gillingham, the same club that had the whip around to sign Leo Fortune West. <laughs> They're swiftly becoming one of my favourite clubs of the nineties. Also, ten times the crowd. You're looking at what? From a jump from of four to forty. <laughs> That's amazing, though, isn't it? Wolf, in your reserve... So do we think he was good at football? or do we... I suppose he's a natural sportsman. We've all <laughs> seen him scale the wall. I'm just going to say, I'd be worried about his disciplinary record. <laughs> Did you do you think he see... played in a tiny version of the Gillingham kit in, like, the kind of spandex or whatever they used to wear, the gladiators thing? If you're the ref, are you worried about keeping order? What would Wolf? Wolf would famously give it back. Well, presumably they got John Anderson in to referee, didn't they? <laughs> Do you want one more? Go on. Samuel Grove. Hey, guys. Was wondering whether you had featured any other commentary gems from Brian Moore. One moment that particularly comes to mind was during one Champions League final in the late 1990s involving Juventus. Well, you know what the French say of Zinedine Zidane. Strength of a bear, the mind of a fox, and... At this point, Brian drew a complete blank. Either because he'd forgotten what the French say about Zinedine Zidane, or more likely he was making it up on the hoof and had run out of metaphors. <laughs> A good eight to ten seconds of dead air broadcasting and mounting panic. <laughs> Brian abandoned the fornometers in favour of saying in more mechanical and decidedly less French and a great engine. <laughs> <laughs> Strength of a better minor folks than a great engine. <laughs> On a similar note, my brother reminded me of when Glenn Hoddle drew a similar blank midway through an animal metaphor about Faustina Aspria returning from injury in a Newcastle shirt. Hoddle said... Aspria hasn't played for weeks now, so he'll be like a caged, a caged <laughs> person. <laughs> like a prisoner. <laughs> like a prisoner. Starved of the ball, like um, Steve Brands likes to make his defenders. Oh, um, if you've got any more commentary gems from Brian Moore or anyone else, any more celebrity kits, stories of Wolf playing football, or um, Spanish football magazines, this is how you get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Now, we've watched a lot of documentaries on uh, on Quickly Kevin. Your favourite, Chris? Might be this Gillingham one we're about to listen to. It is to. good. This We should credit, we've had a few people send it in. We've been informed of this from various people. We went online. It is a six-part Six half hours for regional ITV TV. It follows Gillingham throughout a season. And we met up with the wonderful comedian, podcaster, writer, Benjamin Partridge, to watch them. Our guest today is writer, performer, producer and creator of the multi-award winning comedy podcast The Beef and Dairy Network. Welcome to Quickly Kevin, Mr Benjamin Partridge. Hello, it's such a pleasure to be here. It's, it's lovely to have you on. We always start with the same question. Have you met a 90s footballer? So throw back the wizard's curtain. Yeah. You did re- request that I... You, you told me that you were going to be asking me this question. Yeah. And I've been racking my brains now all week because I'm sure... I grew up in Cardiff, so I'm sure like in school like Kevin Nugent would have come in. Yeah, yeah. Someone. Former Plymouth. Yes, exactly. Um, but I can't think of one. Um, but I did meet one of the 90s premier sports stars, yes. I would say, who came to our school. One day we went to school. Uh, as normal, we didn't know this was going to happen. All lessons were suspended for the morning. We were taken into the hall. We thought, what's this? Surely we don't have to learn about puberty again. <laughs> uh, and out came Cobra from Gladiators. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and they said, you're not going to be doing normal lessons this morning. You've got cobras in charge. And um, we had to do, like, exercises with cobra. There was, like, a sit-up challenge. There was a press-up challenge. Was he challenge. in his outfit? 
He was in his outfit, yeah. Oh, he was in his weird, like, low-scooped kind of... Yeah, basically yeah. like a sort of woman's swimming costume <laughs> kind of thing. My main memory is that he's, he had absolutely massive tits. Like, <laughs> you know, muscly, muscly yeah, yeah. tits, but they were absolutely gigantic. I couldn't take my eyes off them. Yeah. Um, and was he tall? Like, did he hold the room? Everyone was amazed. Like, it was like the best day of all of our lives. Um, and what was the reason for his visit? Well, so this is it. So we did maybe an hour or two of exercises. And then after about two hours of exercise, suddenly it was like, right, come over here. Here's a pen. And just put in your name and address and stuff. And then, long story short, a week later, um, my NatWest debit card arrived in the post. (laughs) 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 And uh, that current account is still my current account. <laughs> they used NatWest used Cobra as a kind of Trojan horse, and there was another gladiator called Trojan <laughs> to get kids to get current accounts. Yep. So your oh, your whole your entire banking system was founded by Cobra from Gladiator. Yeah, uh, it's still my current and account. It worked. It worked pretty much. Yeah. My, I remember my dad being quite angry about what had happened. <laughs> <laughs> what with Cobra? <laughs> pick your battles, mate. I I still have a NatWest current account that's open, and also now you said that I'd forgotten about this memory. But when I was about twelve or thirteen, Jet from Gladiator <laughs> genuinely came, no. genuinely came no. to my high no. school. And well, I'm I serious, a hundred percent serious. And my abiding memory, we did, I don't remember doing like PE with her, yeah. but I remember everyone running and like, oh my god, Jet from Gladiators is here. And she was so small that, 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 that I ran past her and then had to turn back. And I was like, oh, my God, there she was. And I was so in awe. But, was she in her outfit? Yeah, she was in her outfit. Like, it was a huge deal. And yeah. I'd, I'd completely forgotten about this memory. But also, I, too, have a NatWest account from around there the same go. time. So I wonder oh. whether this was a... Well, anyone listening... Yeah. Have you got an <laughs> <Have> you... <laughs> tell you that was I, mean, I feel like we might have unearthed some kind I've... of new PPI scam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Trojan from Gladiators went to my school, my primary school, like a spring school fate. And it was the first time I'd ever seen fake tan. <laughs> and he was like in Essex. <laughs> I grew up in Essex. <laughs> um, but I remember thinking it was really weird because he wasn't there to do anything. Like at least Cobra was coming to your school to do some activities. Yeah. Trojan was just kind of hanging around in the full gladiator outfit, signing people up for personal loans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're still paying that off. Uh, <laughs> it's Cobra first wave gladiator because yeah, he's, he's proper. That's proper. I yeah, he's proper gladiator. Yeah, some yeah, of the later yeah. ones. It's less of a shine on the second yeah. wave. So focus your stories if you've got any. Hello at quicklycover.com yeah, around wave. the first wave. <laughs> right. So what we did, uh, we watched the uh, Gillingham documentary. What was it called? It's called The Football Club, A Season in the Life of Gillingham FC. And the season was 97-98. Yeah, so we should probably give the listeners a little bit of background. You can find all the episodes on YouTube. Basically, in the summer of uh, 95, Chairman Paul Scully took over the club uh, and they'd been languishing at the bottom of the Football League for a couple of years. Well, a few years, in fact. And they were... Verging on bankruptcy. So he, he appoints a young Tony Pulis, who had briefly played for the club in the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, they're promoted what to... What position did Tony Pulis play? I don't know. He's quite wiry, isn't he, Tony Pulis? I, yeah, he's quite small, and he? he looks small to me. Well, he's the thing about Pulis in that documentary especially is, like, he's 40 years old. I, I did the maths. Yeah. I'm 40 next year. I think if I was walking down the street with that Tony Pulis... <laughs> Uh, he could pass as my dad. <laughs> <laughs> He's sort of weirdly ageless but old at the same time. Well, there is that thing with footballers in the 80s and 90s just look so old. Yeah. yeah. It's the moustaches partly, but they're so... But so also crazy. in this documentary, I know this is. we'll come to this, Neil Warnock's in it. Yeah. yeah. And he sort of looks exactly the same as he does now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So he's part of that same he weird... He sold his soul. <laughs> it's funny, like, Neil Warnock and Tony Pooh, I'd never imagined what they were like young. I never yeah. thought. I never. I thought they just turned up old, <laughs> like they, they forget they have a backstory and a life. Yeah. Tony Pulis was a defender, by the way. Can you he imagine was. a baby Neil Warnock? <laughs> <laughs> it's mad that that happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, they get promoted first time of asking to the old division two. Following season, they finish eleventh. So just a bit of consolidation, and then this documentary joins them. We're halfway through the ninety seven ninety eight season. They're still managed by Pulis. Uh, they've got a squad that includes the likes of uh, Adi Akinbayi, who will come to, and their club captain and future manager, Andy Hessenthaler. Probably said that wrong. Um, no, that's correct. That's correct. Good. Andy. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they've been on, when we joined them, they've been on a really bad run in the start of the season. They've gone on a 13-game winless streak, and the pressure is on. Um, 
we should say we've watched the first two episodes. Of six. Of six. Yeah. And initial thoughts, it was awful, but I wanted to watch the other four. Yeah. yeah. It's very compelling. It's very compelling, as they all are. Did uh, you enjoy it, Ben? Um, <laughs> <laughs> early doors, let's get it out of the way. It's yeah. a bad document. It's not yeah. good. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> and it's quite boring, really, which is, yeah. which is... But, as I said, last night I watched two of them, and then I texted you, Josh, and I said... I really want to watch episode three. <laughs> so then I did watch a bit of episode three, and then I skipped through a bit. I watched a bit of episode six because I wanted to see how it all ended. Yeah. But um, it's not it's not down to the it's skill bad. of the documentary no, it's makers. It's badly made. Yeah. There's no hint that it's a well-made piece. What I was amazed by was I got to the end of episode six, and they had the credits, which they don't have on episodes one to five, for some reason, yeah. on YouTube. And at the end, the symbol for Meridian Television came up, and I was like, it was on television. <laughs> Because when I was watching it, I was absolutely sure this was some sort of fan-made VHS that got passed around Gillingham, you know what I mean? <laughs> I couldn't no, believe it. But what is Meridian? Is that a... It's a regional it's a ITV. ITV. Yeah, we had it on the Isle of Wight. But it was that it thing where your your channel went onto the local stuff and then you turned it off. Yeah. Like, that was my experience. Yeah. I mean, in Wales, we had Channel 4, which then changed into S4C for the oh, evening, yeah. and that was a real kick in the tail. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else around the country is watching the Crystal Maze and you're watching some sort of farming thing <laughs> in a language you don't fully understand. <laughs> so, um, we should say as well, we've done a lot of these documentaries and watch-alongs. We've never done one before, I don't think, where things are going well. Well, yes. Like, this is the first documentary we've done where the manager's slapping the players on the back. Tony Poos is like, and well done, lads, and they're going in. You're like, I've never seen this before. I've never seen a dressing room, like, consumed with joy in any of these documentaries. Well, I wonder, because obviously the film starts at the bottom of their bad form. I wonder whether they were like, okay, this guy's going to get sacked. They're going to get relegated. Let's follow that. And the moment they turn up, obviously, there's an uptake in form. Yeah. And there's just no real drama. There's no, no kind of jeopardy to <laughs> no. the film whatsoever. Well, it starts with a kind of brief history of Gillingham, uh, which is soundtracked with, um, maybe you could use this as a bed, Michael, with, <laughs> with this song. Uh, which I remember... Well, it's just, it reminds me of Freddie Mercury dying of AIDS. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the, the, to be blunt. Yeah. yeah. That's all that song means to me, is that video where Freddie Mercury looks like ill and he's like a week from death or whatever he is. Yeah. And it's absolutely the bleakest start to the documentary you could imagine. But unlike the rest of the documentary, it does start with like, because of that, with this really weird emotional punch, I think. Yeah. So I was like... I love Gillingham. Like I was like half, I was like half a minute in, and I was like, I love this club. <laughs> There's a great bit where it says um, it's talking about how they've achieved nothing, and the first shot that isn't of the ground or the players is of a man pushing a bin past Snappy Snaps. <laughs> you forget to mention that after Days of Our Lives, it fades into like a jazz intro, like yes, a mellow jazz, yeah. and then into hardcore techno. <laughs> like a real roller, right, like sound guy's gone insane to start this documentary. It introduces then the characters, Tony Pulis, Paul Scali, uh, Andy Hessenthaler, the captain, with clips that you then see later on. Yeah, there's a bit of a sort of montage. Yeah. The best bit is, so Paul Scali is a big character in this documentary, yeah. and they introduce him in this montage with a little clip and I love it because it's him on the phone going can you fax it straight away and it's a bit like when you watch a crap drama and they need to establish that someone's a business person <laughs> so they get him talking about faxes and weirdly this comes back quite a lot like he, whenever he's on screen he's talking about fax <laughs> It just shows that he's a kind of thrusting business guy. Yeah. Shall we describe what Paul Scally's like? Should we focus on Paul Scally? For yeah, can I just say my one favourite was Paul Scally, but you then get the title sequence, so you get the third kind of bite at the intro. And my favourite image in the montage of the title sequence is Kevin Keegan <laughs> That's right. holding up Paul Scally's colourful tie and mocking yeah. it. <laughs> Which hasn't come up in the first two episodes, but I cannot wait for that bit. Also, the first bit of narration are the words... In the money mad world of football, <laughs> which, uh, which I thought was a real, real nice touch. Um, let's talk about the, the Gillingham chairman. So Paul Scally, he bought the club for one pound, which is a very nineties thing to do, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Buying things that are obviously worth more than a pound for a pound, it's like something that seemed to happen exclusively in the nineties. He's got yeah. the most insane prescription for his glasses. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very seventies sitcom character, aren't they? Yeah. 
straight on the buses. <laughs> like, he puts his glasses oh, on, his eyes disappear. Like, like look, technically blind, surely. He looks like Penfold from Dave. <laughs> yes. And he's got a new wife. And the doctor, yeah. the first time you see Paul Scally, he's on honeymoon. Yeah, with Lisa Marie. Yeah. Lisa Marie Scally, who um, we've I've done some digging. <laughs> He's no longer his wife. Right. Yeah. Um, she's the second of his three wives. Four wives. Four wives. Four wives. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You remember them beheaded. Um... <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Lone. Lisa Marie. So Paul Scally in this documentary is 45. And obviously I'm not judging love, but we've done some digging. Lisa Marie in this documentary is 23. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good luck to you. <laughs> right. Straight out of the academy. <laughs> uh, it starts with him on holiday in St. Lucia. Is it his honeymoon? Yeah, yeah. it says honeymoon, yeah. 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 There's quite a mad decision, which is the first time we see him, he's in he's sort of a set piece interview, and he's topless <laughs> because he's on holiday and honeymoon. And you just think, surely on the day they must have been like do you want to put a top on, Paul? And he's gone, no, no, that's all right. Uh, also, he's, he's on a sandals holiday and he's wearing the, the sandals, sandals hat. hat. Yeah. <laughs> like, I always think, oh, no. He, like going to Butlins or a Butlins I think it's self-filmed, the holiday. Because there's you? a bit in the initial interview where a man sticks his head in the back and they keep yes. it in and sticks his tongue out. And then Paul Scully continues doing the monologue. But throughout... You can hear Lisa giggling and the camera shaking. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether that was the director or Lisa. But, but you can hear her going, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Then <laughs> it's not. Um, it's do, really not. Do you know how Paul Scully made his millions? Well, presumably. He only needed a pound. <laughs> uh, he sold a photocopier company. Oh. Oh. I miss the days when football club owners would just do something as boring as that. Yeah. yeah. So we have the holiday, and then it kind of goes. He'd love to be at home because it's Gillingham's first game. Yeah. He's on the phone, isn't he? Finding uh, out what the what the result was. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand what the result was. Three nil, wasn't it? I was counting the goals. It was nil nil because they had three goals disallowed. Oh, that's correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Because yeah. they showed the goals, but then he goes, "What? Three goals disallowed." And I couldn't believe that either. <laughs> I've never seen that happen. <laughs> so I think it's nil-nil. Yeah, think. so it's nil-nil. So then we meet the manager, Tony Poulis. It goes back to the training ground, and a young Tony Poulis is introduced. Dark hair. Slightly no more. baseball cap at this no point. No baseball cap. Oh, also with a honeymoon. Sorry to go back. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that the filmmaker thought they were pulling off this massive metaphor because they go... But soon the honeymoon would be over. <laughs> but they're already having a bad season, so I don't understand what that means. And the season picks up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a, I think, yeah, the narration is like really into himself. There's a bit in it where they're putting some dogs in the back of a car, dash hounds into the back of a car, and they're like, they're just going to put the hounds away and dash to the game. Like, that is nice. Oh, lovely. Um, so then we, they have two games. They're away at Watford and Bristol City, who are the yeah. top two teams. And it's our first introduction <laughs> to the soundtrack of every match, which is Dario G, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's it... absolutely incredible. And if we manage to pull out two great results against those two sides, that should set us up really nicely for a good, strong push on the playoffs. It's obviously a low-budget thing, but I think we know where the budget went. <laughs> because they've obviously paid for the rights to use the song... Is it Sunshine mm. by Dario G? Sunshine, yeah. But they obviously can't afford any other music, so every time there is match footage, there it is. <laughs> it's amazing. And they win both games, which is quite disappointing. You want drama, don't you? I've got, um, a, I've got a fact about Dario G's Sunshine. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the United Kingdom, the song peaked at number two in the UK singles chart was kept off the top spot by... This is a good quiz question. I don't know. What Spice year? Girls? What year? Candle in the Wind. Correct! Oh! Oh! It's the largest difference in sales between a number one and a number two of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite cutting edge at that point, Dario G, I suppose. Yeah. It was a year old. It was, yeah. the, it, was the, it was a good era for that kind of music. There was the a Jean-Michel Dario... Jarre song that he did for the 98 World Cup. Yes. Oh, Children, Robert Miles, that oh, was Oh, Robert Miles, yeah. Great times. Great yeah. times. <laughs> Although I would like to see highlights of these, some of these Gillingham matches to Candle in the Wind. 
Well, we basically do in the opening. With these, yeah. Those are the days of our life. Um, so we see Tony Poulos on the training ground around this time. And his training technique... I, I mean, Tony Poulos has a reputation for not playing the most attractive football. But he shouts his players to pump it up and, and take two headers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't like. I don't understand what that is. What what is, does that mean? He's attempting to hit it to another one. What they got head it in the air, then head it again. <laughs> like, I think that himself. tells you everything you need to know about the tactics Gillingham are deploying yeah. at this time. But can you imagine if someone pulled that off? If you hoofed it long, then, <laughs> yeah. then someone headed, headed it, it to the striker, who then headed it in. <laughs> But it's it's not a tactic you would go. Well, this is this is the way we're going to do this. <laughs> do you like Tony Pulis from this? You don't really see him, do you? He feels like a very serious man. It looks like how you imagine his character to be. Like he doesn't seem a laugh. What's weird about this documentary is compared to most of these football documentaries, you don't really see him in the changing room. Like there's yeah. no big moment where he does a big speech or like. No. Because, you know, I watched that um, Man City one recently, which was really boring, actually, but it was just quite good to watch Pep in the yeah, changing rooms because yeah. you're like, what is he doing? Like, what's the magic? Like, how is he able to make this work? But with, they must have filmed it, but there's obviously... Well, I wonder whether they didn't have access to the changing rooms. Well, uh, early doors, I think they don't, because there's a moment, I can't remember after which game, but all the players are going in and he's congratulating them. And then the cameraman stays outside and the door gets closed. And later on, there's a similar scene. And you see the cameraman sort of go, well, the door's still open. Maybe I can just... And the camera sort of sneaks in. And Pulis sees him. And I think he censors himself. Oh, like, really? What he was going to say is very different to what he does that actually end up saying. When the players are coming in, so that's after the Bristol City win, there's a great bit. So it's all the players coming in. Pulis is stood, like, at the door, like, kind of, well done, mate, come on. Yeah. And then there's a couple of stragglers. And he's like, come on, Steve, come on. And then he comes. And then, come on, Got you too. And then he goes, come on, Matty. Come on, Matty. And then a guy comes in on crutches. <laughs> I, uh, I asked a footballer who used to be managed by Tony Pulis what, what it was like. And he said to me that uh, Pulis would practice what he called like, uh, get it in the gully, get it in the gully. So the players would practice like just booting it into the corner of a field. And then the, the idea was you run after it, pump it into the box and you head it in. Now, that is his kind of yeah. strategy. That's it. There's a point later in the film where... When Neil Warnock is calling you out for playing unattractive football, <laughs> like, you know you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, it's Pulis versus Warnock, Oldham versus Gillingham. And I mean, I've thought this must be one of the worst games of football you can ever imagine seeing. Pulis, Warnock. We will come to it. Yeah. But before that, so it, they get two wins, and then the next scene we get is Adi Akinbayi, who is the star player. Absolutely. Yeah. He looks absolutely brilliant. Uh, he's contract negotiations. So Fantastic. It's Paul Scally and Adi Akamai's agent, who I am going to say is shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's an, rubbish. Yeah. The, you know, from the moment he sat down in reception, his body language says, I'm not getting a good deal here. <laughs> but there's this lovely shot where the, I think the club secretary comes out to collect him. And then they do this beautiful sort of Goodfellas-esque like yeah, tracking goes, shot. Mr. Like, Scally's ready to see you now. And, and then, then it's like a five-minute yeah. walk through the entire <laughs> building with a camera following the whole time, like Ray Liotta going into the Copacabana. <laughs> and and the, then when they get in there, Paul, this, this is amazing, Paul Scally's wearing football kit for some reason. <laughs> and he goes, so I'm not wearing a suit. And you're like, put one on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I wondered, was that a sort of power play on his yeah. part? But there are other like... bits in the documentary where Paul Scully's wearing a football kit. He's the, the chairman. There's, like, there's, there's loads of bits where he, there's a bit where when, he, when Paul Scully turns up to the ground, there's a man who's waiting outside. He goes, oh, you're going for a run around the pitch today? Like he's been planted there by Paul Scully yeah. so that they can get on the documentary the fact he works out. When he and first then, gets back from honeymoon, he sort of is wearing almost like that Brian Robson, casual on the shorts and smart yeah. on the top, but he's sort of carrying a briefcase. <laughs> yes, with like those shiny 1990s, like really kind of short bro shorts. shorts. Yeah. yeah, he's taking him seriously. <laughs> but I think it is a power play in this in this yeah. situation when he's trying to do the contract negotiation. Yeah. I think it's a power move. Well, and then, he does have all of the power, absolutely. Even yeah. though the the agent is representing a player who is playing well below his level. Yeah, the agent is. He's just pathetic. It's quite revealing because Paul Scully afterwards says, oh, the good thing about that agent is that um, some agents just look after their clients, but um, this agent's got, like, the well-being of the club in mind. You're yeah. like, that's not a good agent, is it? <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a good lad. He's, he helps the players. He does a lot for the players. He's uh, easy to deal with. And I think he takes into account the requirements of the club as well as the requirements of his, his clients, or of course, his players, um, whereas some agents, I think, just come in and are more interested in... Uh, their own personal benefit from signing up a player on the highest possible deal. 
and really don't regard it at all the problems a football club has, who at the end of the day have got to pay these players. If my agent said, I've done the contract negotiations and Channel 4 have come out a bit brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> They've got the world beaters. Do not worry about them. Um, the opening gambit between the agent and the chairman, Paul Scali, goes, oh, yeah, I've got your terms for Adi Akinbayi's contract, and I've stopped laughing. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, oh, that is such uh, a classic. And the he agent also, sits silently. Sorry. He does what I assume is a joke about him not going to Juventus. Yeah. Yeah. But I wasn't fully <laughs> clear what was going on. And he goes, yeah, I've heard he's not going to Juventus. Doesn't like Italian food. What? <laughs> Is, is that a joke? I think so, but then there's a really uncomfortable beat. Also, then... who doesn't like Italian food? <laughs> <laughs> it's that awkward banter. Do you reckon Adi Akinbayi watched that footage back when this show went out six months later? I was like, oh, God. <laughs> 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 that was my contract negotiations. The few lower league agents we've seen any footage of are all rubbish, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where do they how do they find them? Because what has this guy got that Adi Akinbayi himself couldn't <laughs> do? So then halfway through the contract negotiations, Scally goes down the barrel of the camera and just is interviewed while the other agent... Well, the agent's just sat yeah. there. And he's interviewed about agents and the concept of agents. And then he goes, you get your big names like uh, Mel Steen. And then you get your... Yeah, um, what does he say? He says something like, absolute nobody. It's like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> also, then you cut to Paul Scally on match day. So Paul Scally's the main person. He's heavily involved in the club. And he's giving autographs to, like, seven-year-olds. Yeah. Is that staged? If you're a kid, are you, do you even know who your club chairman is? Are you asking yeah. for their autograph? Yeah, I got Peter Story's old managing director of West Ham. He got his autograph. He's a Did bum. you? Yeah, yeah. But just people you know around the club. I don't know why. Did you know who he was? Though? Yeah. You've seen him on the end-of-season reviews. Right. They And then he walks into the dressing room. And I think then, it's amazing, because the players don't give a shit. No. And he's trying to... He's, for some reason, decided, I'm going to shake the hand of every player. Yeah. It's yeah. like a game. But yeah. None of them want to do it. They all look a bit annoyed, don't yeah. they? Andy Hestal is doing smelling salts. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then, my favourite bit of that is he walks into the restaurant and you hear this overheard dialogue, I think he says. And he says to one of the players, and I just want to know what it's about, he says, I watched that video... Um, yes! <laughs> I watched that video at quarter to five this morning. Again, yeah, and you're like, what is that? Yeah, it's like it's like a sex tape of a local butcher <laughs> has been handed round. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This is the '90s as well, so it's a VHS. He yeah. hasn't WhatsApped it. Yeah. You have to get that video. It's a physical handover, <laughs> and you're having to put it in your telly. And also, the detail that early in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> seems he couldn't there's sleep. Something illicit. He, about he had it. to get. He had to get up before Lisa Marie. <laughs> So you could watch it without being caught. Uh, and then they win two more games. Adi Akinbayi is amazing. Then there's an old, Oldham arrive and uh, Neil Warnock's team. They're late. Oh, it's amazing. They're seven hours late. Because Neil, Neil Warnock comes off the coach and he goes, we're seven hours late and we haven't eaten, but sometimes that goes your way or something like that. He sort of tries to make out that that's going to be an advantage for them. <laughs> He gets in the dressing room and one of the players squirts him with something. And you can't yeah. tell. I'm always fascinated by that dynamic between players and management when they do something to the manager where you're like, oh, that's a bit offside. Like yeah. when David Bentley poured a bucket of water over yeah, Harry Redknapp yeah. and you're like, there's a line there, but they squeeze his water bottle at Neil Warnock. He, he takes his shirt off laugh. and he laughs. Yeah. And he has to because he's on TV, but he finds them £20. Pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I think with no camera, that goes very differently. Yeah. <laughs> and then you basically, that's the end of the episode, isn't it? Well, there's, there's a, a little detail. Well, when Neil Warnock oh, comes yeah, on, I love this. When he comes on screen for the first time, his lower third name strap it says Neil Warnock, former older manager. And I thought, what's that all about? And basically, I looked into it between the time that they started filming it and when it went out. He'd obviously been sacked because yeah. he got them relegated. <laughs> but why not? But just you've got to do the things in the current tense. Yeah, it doesn't say Lisa Marie, ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> So that brings us to the end of episode one. But I really was excited about episode two, partly because it does a, a throw forward. A throw forward, yeah. The throw forward is unbelievable. <laughs> the throw forward is Adi Akinbayi drawing a man playing a saxophone uh, and talking about his art. Yeah. Followed by Guy Butters, who's a character we have not met yet. But a big character in episode two. Big, big character in episode two with his foot in plaster. And disaster. That, disaster. That's the sales, and I was excited. Yeah, I was fascinated by... I think there's a little snapshot of Andy Hessenthaler's house. 
Oh, yeah. And yeah. you're just like, again, they're just normal house. Is it Guy Butters as well, the guy who breaks his leg? Yeah. Normal house, he's got like an L-Reg white Fiesta, Fiesta. On, the, yeah. on the driveway. It's uh, funny, it's strange footballers of this division, because you're just normal people, aren't you? Well, we come to that with the Andy Hessenthaler interview. Which, which is the only I, actually in, interesting interview. Really in interesting, yeah. really interesting, I found. Yeah. Um, I really liked Andy Hessenthaler's wife. I thought she was a great character they could have used more. Anyway... That is episode two, which starts with a recap. Yeah. The recap talks about how a 17-year-old scored against Bristol City, which isn't mentioned in the first yeah. episode. So, so <laughs> the recap. That, that huge detail that a 17-year-old scored is not mentioned. And then um, we start with footage of Adi Akinbae, um drawing a man playing a saxophone at home and saying that he's... He wants it to be good because he's going to send it to school. Yeah, I didn't understand. Is he doing an open university course or something? It feels like he must be. He kind of implied it's getting marked. Yeah. (laughs) He did imply it. Well, my my favourite detail of that whole conversation is that he sort of says, I want something to fall back on when, when football ends. And you sort of want to say to him, Mate, what are you going to be like? One of those caricature artists at Alton Towers? Like, what? You can't monetize this. He's going for the old footballer then illustrator path. But, you know, so often, if you go to coaching, if you go to punditry, would you, if you're walking through Leicester Square and Andy Akinbae was like, yeah, you're self-drawn? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Especially if he had a series of pictures of like Chaplin, Monroe, all playing the saxophone. Yeah. So this interview with Adia Kambayi at the start is the first sign that they haven't got 22 minutes of stuff to fill it. (laughs) So every scene is dragged out in kind of... Yeah. It's like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy or something, (laughs) the slow-moving kind of... Um, He's quite a curious character because he talks about how... He goes, I love to play the saxophone, but I didn't have a saxophone. (laughs) So what... How does that work? There's a bit where they ask him about hobbies, and kind of he, he settles on drawing, but he, he rules a bunch of other stuff out first. Which yeah. is golf? What's that? Hitting a ball and walking after it and hitting it again, or fishing, getting a fish, taking it out, throwing it back again. He's like, I feel like Adi Akinbai could reduce anyone's hobbies <laughs> to like the real basics and make it sound rubbish. When he's doing that, it feels like. They've taken the piss out of his drawing in the dressing room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. this is his stock defence. There's a bit that's really strange where he talks about the level at which he's playing. Yeah. yeah. And he says something like, I could go a step lower and I'd still enjoy it. And I could be higher, but now I'm at this level, I enjoy it. And it's like he sort of thinks that the lower level of football he's playing, the more he'll enjoy it. <laughs> so he's like hobbling his own career just so... <laughs> So like, does he like playing easy matches? Is that what he's saying? <laughs> I thought that. Yeah. I wonder if like players drop down divisions because it's easier. I suppose. Because he kind of it, says, I could be making a lot more money. And we're like, yeah, yeah we've met your agent. We know. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a sense that he could be making more money. Because well, he's obviously you, a bit too good for Gillingham, right? Yeah, That's and then he does go in real life. In right. Afterwards, he does go up the leagues and get found out. Right. So, he, in so many where did he, he go after Gillingham? He goes everywhere. Everywhere. He goes Bristol City, Wolverhampton, and then he goes to Leicester in the Premier League where he has a disaster. Right. And yeah. then he goes, read out the list. Uh, so, yeah, Gillingham, and then after that, Bristol for a year, Wolves for a year, Leicester for two years, Palace for a year, then a Stoke for a bit, Stoke again for two years, Burnley, Sheffield United, Burnley, Houston Dynamo, Notts County, Colwyn Bay, retiring in 2015. Look, quite a few Poolist teams there. Poolist must have signed him again and again. Yeah, yeah. he did at Stoke. He does well. He does well yeah. at Gillingham. Do you, do you remember he him? looks like he's better than everyone else. So he yeah. knows he's onto a good thing, so he should have just... Stayed there. Yeah, he could be a Gillingham legend. Yeah. Now. Well, he, was, was it not at Crystal Palace that he wanted the number ten, and it was unavailable, so he had five plus five on the back of his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that is right. You know, when he joined Leicester, he could finally afford a saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just, just to confirm, he had five plus five on the back of his oh, shirt. Wow. Crystal wow. Palace. Is he like Tipexed on the plus? <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate, so he's an illustrator. <laughs> he's got that in his locker. <laughs> Um, then we so that's the intro, which is just some filler on Adi Akinbayi, and then we go to Guy Butters, who's like a kind of solid centre back who we've not seen yet. If I was making the documentary, I would have just done thirty seconds in the first section about how good Guy Butters is. Yeah. So then, when we see him with a broken foot, there's some sense of drama. <laughs> yeah. But we don't know what we're losing. I think yeah. I could name 
three of the players and I've watched an hour of them, yeah. which is mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can buy Butters Hessenthaler. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if Paul Scally was involved in the making. He's so central to it. Yeah. It's either Paul Scally or Dario G who's behind it. <laughs> <laughs> um, something we haven't mentioned that has come up. Obviously, we love sponsors on this show. The Gillingham sponsor is Cool. I tried, to, I tried to find what it is. I had no. What is? I literally have no idea. Is that like a soft drink? K O O L. No idea yeah. what that is. I, I, no, nothing. I couldn't even guess. Uh, someone will know. Hello. Do you write in? Absolutely. Yeah. Someone will know. Speaking of sponsors, in the in the previous episode, in the background of the uh, Gilling versus Oldham match, you see one of the hoardings, and one of their sponsors is a butcher called Mister Hamman. <laughs> <laughs> Bring, bring me a dream. He's, uh, <laughs> he's the one on the VHS. <laughs> I love to know our postcards. Four forty-five a.m. VHS. <laughs> um, so we interview Guy Butters about his broken foot. So he's broken his. It looks bad. He's yeah, got he's below the full, knee. Full leg cast. Yeah. yeah, and he's on what you see from him and Hessenthaler's house is the traditional patterned sofa that yeah. uh, footballers yeah. have. Very nineties. And he talks about how his mate had a similar injury, and then it, with a kind of twinkle in his eye, talks about how his mate talked his way into having a wheelchair. <laughs> uh, direct quote: "You can phone up the Red Cross, and for a little donation, you get a wheelchair." Not true. Not true. The Red Cross are yeah. too busy in yeah. the Middle East. Yeah. It's not World War One, mate. <laughs> Gillingham in the nineties. Guy Butters is on the phone. He wants a wheelchair. Hello, is that Medecins Sans Frontieres? <laughs> Someone's gone right through me. <laughs> so it's quite boring, that bit. But this is when it gets so pedestrianly slow. But I do love it. Because every detail's good. Because then you get the slowest scene I've ever seen in a documentary, which is about some paperwork for the replacement for Guy Butters. Being faxed, <laughs> Being faxed to, to the FA. To the FA. And it involves the club secretary, I suppose she must be. Yeah. She's on the phone to Notts County at like two minutes to 12. It really makes you realise what the internet has done to society, that scene. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. she's on the phone, and then, but some, she keeps saying things, and then someone else is like relaying that to someone else on a different phone, I think. Yeah, so she's trying to get Notts County to do this paperwork by 12. Yeah. But you can only hear one side of the conversation. Yeah. It's so tedious. Because they've only got one camera, and they clearly haven't... They just needed to take some extraneous shots of, like, a photocopy of a cup or something that they could cut like, to. Like, like The Office. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. The Office. They needed something because they've got no other shot to cut to so they can't edit it down. Yeah, it just plays out in one long take, like some kind of off-Broadway experimental <laughs> theatre piece. It, it, rem- it reminded me of, like, Paxman on Newsnight. She's going, have yeah. you sent the paperwork? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, like, 30 seconds of silence. Yeah. But what... No, not- my chairman has asked me now is, has the player signed the paperwork? All right, Mike, cheers. Give me five minutes. Cheers. Ian. Has the player signed the paperwork? Ian. Has he? Has he signed it? I want to know if he signed the temporary transfer. That's all. She's on the other line to Notts County. She's just asking now. I don't know if she's got an answer yet. All I want to know, Ian, is if he signed it. I mean, you still have it there. We don't have it here. But has he signed it? So they're really relaxed about it. It seems like relatively relaxed because it's like it's one minute to midday or something. They're like, you have to send it to the FA by midday or they won't let the transfer go through. And then suddenly it's like two minutes past midday and you're like, and he's like, send that paperwork through now. They may not even accept it. And you kind of think, oh, well, they're not really panicking. So of course they're going to accept it. This is just something that goes on. And then the next scene you find out, they didn't accept it. They never, so they weren't allowed to sign this player because Notts County were just dithering and not sending this fax. And they were all so relaxed. Also, what I don't understand is, are they, I think they've sold a striker, have they? Yeah. They're trying to get two players, or is that yeah. a different part? No, of the yeah, that's it, yeah. So they've sold a striker and this guy's injured, but they make yeah. it seem like they've only got 11 players. Like, <laughs> they sort of make out that without this, they won't yeah. have a full complement yeah. of players. <laughs> like, they've got zero strength and depth whatsoever. <laughs> and why have you sold a striker? Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah, we've been scoring goals. Yeah, he's the top scorer. Yeah, he was the top scorer season. last year and he's gone. It's like, well, you made the decision. <laughs> yeah, it's really odd. He also, sorry, if you're an aura who's the striker that gets sold, there's a great clip in, of him in the uh, first episode to show them larking around in the dressing room where someone throws a programme at him. Yeah. He's sat reading the programme and another player throws a programme at him. And it's one of the... 
It's just the worst example of football banter in the dressing room I've ever seen. Well, there's a player sat next to him, or a member of staff, who goes to sort of tap him on the head playfully, but then thinks <laughs> better of it, but is sort of too committed. So he sort of, it's like he delicately strokes the, <laughs> the top of his head. And it reminded me of a time, you know, the whole sort of like when you greet someone that you vaguely know, and it's do I kiss once, kiss yeah. twice, do I hug, do I handshake? I did that with someone once, and we went in, and I thought we were going to do a kiss on the cheek. She went for a hug, but I was committed to the kiss. So I really softly kissed her on the neck. <laughs> and she sort of froze up. And Understandably. That, that moment haunts me. Like, I think about that moment at least once a week, and it was about seven years ago. Also, in that secretary scene where she's on the phone to Notts County... I don't know if you noticed this. All the way through, there's this weird noise that's like, that's coming in. And it sounds like just off camera, someone's playing Operation. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know what the sound actually is. They're operating on Guy Butters. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the longest calls. It's like, if I had the right reference for a theatre thing. It's What's the... What's the slow theatre guy? Pinter or who it is? Pinter. Pinter. Yeah. Well, because the, the voiceover goes, the problem is, there's only one minute to go. And then it seemed like at least five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting just to note, like, was that other club being a bit Machiavellian and yeah. and intentionally lead, leading them oh, on think to so. think they had the player yeah, so I that they so. wouldn't have the player? Is yeah. that kind of stuff? I never thought that. I it guess is, it does go on. I never so really good, thought about that. It? It's a really good window into, you imagine when you're a fan, even at that level at that time, that it's all, like, so professional. Yeah. yeah. And I remember when Plymouth knocked down the one of their stands, the Lindhurst stand, that was, like, the iconic stand we used to sit in, and they sold off the seats, they're a tenner, and I bought a seat, and I had to go and pick it up from Plymouth Argyle. And I remember going into the office at the ground, and Paul Stark, the manager, who's arguably our best manager ever, was just sat in the office having a cup of tea with his feet up talking to the secretary. And he was like... And he dealt with me. <laughs> what? And he was like, hey, what, why, are you, why are you here? And I was like, I'm buying a seat for £10. And he was like, oh, this guy, he's, he's picking up a seat for £10. <laughs> the, manager. the manager. But you just realise that it's such an amateur operator. It's like yeah. it's a local business. That's yeah, what it is. I know. And you're imagining the effort, all these deals, but it's just someone who's not centre fact. Yeah. yeah. And th- that woman who's on the phone, like Paul Scully obviously is a multi-millionaire businessman, but that woman who's first doing it, she just works for Gillingham FC. She's not like a high-rolling business person that's yeah. trying to blast this transfer. Yeah. She could work in any generic office anywhere. Yeah, in the country. she was yeah. probably brought over in the backroom staff of the photocopying business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He brought the whole lot yeah. over. You're right. You think it's a slick operation, signing players for big money, and the reality is, it's a 60-year-old woman on the phone to another club going, "Have you sent the paper?" <laughs> <laughs> so you have that interminable scene, and then what's the scene after that? Then it's another montage with Dario G. Okay. And, at, and at that stage, I started thinking about. You remember when um, in Guantanamo Bay, America used to just play the same music over and over again <laughs> to break them? It started feeling a bit like that. <laughs> Like in the first episode, I was like, I quite like this song. And then when it was when it came back the second time, I was like, I can't believe they've done this again. <laughs> but I tell you why that is because when they made it, they weren't expecting people to binge watch it. No, there should have been a week in between. Be, yeah, there's yeah. been a week in between, so they thought we can get away with this. They won't remember. <laughs> so they win more games, don't they? Basically, yeah, it's yeah. a really good montage of, of wins. And then I'd say the most interesting interview of the first two parts is Andy Hessenthaler at home with his wife. Yeah. And child. Yeah, lovely bit of uh, business going on with a kid. Yeah. Kid wants to play mini snook- pool, mini, pool <laughs> mini snooker. Andy Hessenthaler, for me, is the classic lower league player. Yeah. Do you know he didn't turn professional until he was 26? Didn't he? It's mad. And there's a bit in it where his wife says to him, like, they're, they're worried about money because essentially he's going to, like, like she says, you're going to get made redundant in a couple of years and we have to plan like that. And obviously coming into the game quite late, he hasn't amassed the money. She says, you might only have two years left. He played for another 12. Did he? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he played until 2009. What age wow. was he when he was... So, I think he retired uh, at like 40s. late 40, mid-40s, I assume. Wow. He, yeah. he, he was playing really for Dover until 2010. It really sets up what you don't think about, which is what those lower league players' life is like in that they know they've got to... I mean, obviously, Eddie akinbai has got the drawing to fall back on. <laughs> but they know they've got to do something else. Yeah. And his wife's really worried about it. Because she, she's like, she's like, obviously, at the moment, he's earning, but I know I'm going to have to go back to work. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is like 
proper lives. Yeah. This is their lives, which you never think about, I think, with players. And the person behind the camera goes, so you haven't made enough money for life? And I couldn't work out whether they were surprised that he didn't have so much money or whether they were like, do you know what I mean? Like, what, yeah. what did the documentary makers think? It's quite a moving scene, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. quite nice. Yeah, I really liked his wife. And then you see his son playing football, Jake Hessenthaler. Yes. And he's like, oh, I really want him to be a footballer. And do you know what happens? I've Googled him, he's not a footballer. He 159 games for Gillingham, mate. No, is yes, he? Yes, yes. Wow. No. Yeah, Jake Hessenthaler. Really? Yes. Played for Gillingham for five years. Yes. Wow. <laughs> when that Wikipedia page came up, I was like... Yes! yes. <laughs> punching me out. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know yeah, yeah, So yeah. did he play a full career or just five... Yeah, he played five years. He's still playing now, I believe. That's mm. great. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. such a good story. Yeah. So that's a lovely bit. And then we come back to Adi Akinbayi to end the episode in what is an astonishing scene in which he goes to London to meet his agent in a sports bar <laughs> that has a match on, which just blows my mind. We sort of join him walking down the street and I think the voiceover is like, you know, even as a professional footballer, like, your Sundays aren't a day of rest. He's, he's come to London to meet his agent. That's right. And then he enters what looks like a really big sort of posh office building and you think, oh, maybe this agent's like, you know, yeah. a junior agent in part of a big agency and he walks in and it's just said, it's a sports bar. Like, it's a really bad <laughs> sports bar in central London somewhere and the yeah. agent's just sat there on a table for two in front of a screen <laughs> next to the bar. <laughs> yeah. It's mad. And they talk about his future, and he says that he's a big fan of Ian Wright. Yeah, that's right. And, and there's nothing to base this on. He says, obviously, if Arsenal came calling, I'd move to them. It's like, well, you can say that, but Arsenal aren't interested. Like, there's no mention of Arsenal up until that moment. Yeah. And it's left, isn't it, that we don't know what's going to happen with Adi Akinbayi. Yeah. yeah. There's a, an interview with a fan on a coach back from a game saying, Adi Akinbayi was rubbish today. And I wondered, right... He should do my job. Yeah, he yeah. should oh, do that, my that, job. That clip, because that's what's going to happen next week when they lose in Blackpool. But it's presented with zero context. So he just cuts to it and suddenly there's a fan just really irate about something and you have no idea what he's so annoyed about. Tune in next week, Michael. It's called a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> it's... It's an astonishing clip. Yeah. I think, we, I mean, we, we, we could play that in on the podcast because it is so mad. Shall we just watch it? Yeah. Because it is mad. Next week, Gillingham's faithful fans take a 600-mile round trip for a day at the seaside, but they're not too impressed by what they see. It's not just a game. It's what you believe in. It's your football club. It's what you believe in. It's not just a game. I'm sorry, it's not. I've got to go to work on Monday and I'm going to get nothing but shit because we lost a rubbish by Blackpool. That's the third Monday running I've had to take crap because we've lost. Perhaps Mr Bloody Eckenboy would like to do my job for a day. Then he can take the shit. He plays enough of it. Uh, I wonder what he does for a job. I'd love to know what but he does. But also, like, <laughs> like having, having worked in He's places. He's a courtroom artist. So Andy Eckenbike <laughs> would like to do his job for a day. <laughs> but, like. <laughs> the but judge you... going, hey, you lost the black for you, loser. But you'd never really take the piss out of, like, people who support lower league teams. Like, oh, you lost to. I don't know. Would you, like. I think that's the kind of stick reserved for Spurs no, fans. Of course or I wouldn't. That... I wouldn't worry if Plymouth lost that I was going to get too much banter on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Do you worry about that if West Ham lose? You think, oh my God. If it's a big a... derby or something and you've got mouthy Spurs or something like that, but no, not really. But I think it's one of those things where you, they think by the following week you're not going yeah. to remember. I think we're all fairly committed to watching the rest of this. Can, can a, we foresee a follow-up episode to, to yeah, carry on this journey it's with a wonderful. It's a wonderful documentary. There's... You knock them out so fast. That's the beauty of it. They're yeah. 22 minutes. Yeah. American sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, better. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. If I had to rank the documentaries we've done, it's no Barry Fry or Graham Taylor, but I preferred it to Doncaster and Chester, I think. There's something about how badly it's made that actually makes it watchable, but I can't work out what that is. Michael, did you enjoy it? I did, yeah. yeah. I'm going to watch it whether we do another episode or not. I'm going to, I'm going to finish off the six, definitely, yeah. And do you was... know what happens at the end of the season? No, no, no I don't. neither do I. No. Do you? I did watch a bit of episode six, um, but I'm not going to give it away. Oh, save the <laughs> gold. <laughs> um, ben Partridge, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
That was Benjamin Partridge. Oh man, I love this Gillingham documentary. It's brilliant. We will be. That's that's parts one and two. I thought my fear going into this was we we had scraped the barrel of these sort of watch along documentaries, but that was great. It was one of my favourites. Yeah, it was absolutely superb. I can't believe there's so many. It's genuinely one of the best ones for me because um, it's just the right side of mad. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's it's possibly the most sane club we've observed, but it's still it's still so much detail. Yeah. Um, also. I'd say the uh, Cobra coming to Ben Partridge's school <laughs> anecdote may be the greatest ever told on Quickly Kevin. I feel as well we have not heard the end of this. If no. you've got anything to add, hello at Quickly Kevin. Did Cobra come to your school? Did any gladiator come to your school? Did any celebrity make you sign up to a current account? <laughs> this is how you get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at QuicklyKevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Uh, if you want to come and see us, our live date at Salford Lowry next autumn, winter, whatever you want to call it, sign up to our pre-sale on the website quicklykevin.com. Tickets go on pre-sale on Tuesday and on general sale on Thursday. Okay, now, Reviews. This series, we're asking you to leave a review on iTunes in the style of some Steve Bruce slash Barnes fan fiction. Doesn't have to be five stars, but it helps. And our winner this week, and Michael, I believe they win a Leatherford Town mug. Yep. And our winner this week is James D's seatbelt. He says, with the title Target Man. Shots rang out. After diving for cover, I made it back to car to the car and got in. The would-be assassin had sped off. The 2.3-litre V8 engine had no difficulty in making sure that he kept pace with his inferior motor, and the road was smooth as well. He pulled up outside a building in an industrial estate and went in. I waited a moment, then decided to follow him in. When I opened the door, I saw several men in white coats and guessed that they were scientists. Some scientists may say there might be different realities out there. Maybe there's another version of me out there working as a professional soccer manager in a subtly different universe. Perhaps he has a slightly different name. Perhaps he played for a different club. Perhaps Mulcaster United didn't even exist in this reality. Perhaps he never won the European Cup. Who knows? Don't ask me. I'm just a simple football man with a few GCSEs, not a theoretical physicist. One of the few scientists turned and looked at me. I saw that he was holding a gun. Oh, oh that is great. There People are so good at the... And it, do you know what it makes you realise? He's got a really distinctive writing style. Yeah. There's yeah. so many tropes that people are tapping into that I didn't even, you know. Well, it's like when you read, say, Bukowski. The prose seems very simple, but actually there's a real beauty in what he yeah. does. I'm, with every with every pastiche, I like Steve Bruce's writing style more. <laughs> and someone just compared Steve Bruce to Bukowski. <laughs> <laughs> Both have got a... Um, Similar attitude to women in their writing. (laughs) (laughs) Both dinosaurs from another age. (laughs) Right, Michael, the quiz. Yep, you know the score by now. End of episode quiz. Chris versus Josh to see who picks which song plays out at the end of the show. As always, it's starting 11. I'll pick a game from the 90s. They decide which players played in the game. If they get it right, they continue. If that player didn't play, they lose a life. Last man standing wins. The score is currently 3-2 to Chris. Couldn't be more close. So, the game in question. In tribute to today's episode, is from the 30th of May, 1999. Manchester City versus Gillingham in the playoff final. Oh, my God. It's a tough one. Gillingham? This, this may be the quickest game. Of all the game. Gillingham <laughs> games we've had, you could have chosen, I'd say that's the best, unless you played Gillingham versus Plymouth Argyle in 1996. That would have been ideal. So. What year is this, sorry? 96. 30th of May, 1999. Oh, 99. Yeah. I fear this may be the quickest game of starting 11 ever. I'm, I think I might, I might surprise you here. Yeah. Josh, as you're behind, I'll give you the chance to pick first. Andy Hessenthaler. Correct. What? He's gone Gillingham. He's gone Gillingham. He's gone Gillingham early doors. Uh, I'll get the first, get the Gillingham's album move on to Man City. Adi Akinbay. This is not a good sign. No, it's not a good sign, Chris. Incorrect. Oh, what a start. Ah, One left okay. down already. Josh, your choice. Who would be in that Man City team? I've got loads in the locker now. Oh, I've got zero in the locker, so I'm, I'm in serious trouble here. Um, oh, who's that goalie? Nicky Weaver. Oh, that's mine. Correct. 
Um, Paul Dickoff. Correct. Ian Bishop. Oh, you're reading my mind. Do you know what though? Came on as a sub. Ah. Oh. So you must pick again. Have you got more in the locker, Chris? I'm struggling now. There's a couple that I'm not sure about. I'm going to go with that Man City team in 1999. Who would have been in it? So how did they go down? Um, I'm going to go with Sean Gota. Oh, that's the one I'm not sure about. Correct. Oh! Uh, right, come on. This is a big call. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna they go said it was gonna be a short game, but I'm gonna go with Georgie Kinkladzi. Surely he didn't go all the way down with him, did he? Incorrect. Oh, it's a victory for Winnicott. Okay, so the Man City team in goal: Nicky Weaver in defence, Lee Crooks, Richard Edgehill, Gerard Weekins, Andy Morrison. Kevin Horlock, Michael Brown, Jeff Whitley, Paul Dickoff, Sean Gota, and Terry Cook. They weren't I all in defence. I don't obviously. feel that I would have had a chance. Terry there. Cook. Terry Cook. And for Gillingham in goal, Vince Bartram. Oh. The rest of the team: Nicky, Nicky Southall, Barry Ashby, Paul Smith, Guy Butters. Nicky Southall and Barry Ashby can't be real players. <laughs> Guy Butters, Adrian. Guy Butters. Adrian Pennock, Mark Patterson. I mean, I could just Mark be Patterson making these up. Mark Patterson used to play for Plymouth. Good uh, player. Good player. Andy Hessenthaler, Carla Sarba. Carla oh, Sarver, I remember. Carla Sarver, yeah. I mean, we did pretty well with what we Yeah, not we'd bad. Got. Yeah. Respectable. Josh, which uh, song would you like to play out at the end of the show? Um, well, there's only one song to play out at the end of the show, really. It is The Twelve Days of Christmas. On the twelfth day of Christmas, I threw last and threw in. Twelve keepers ranting, This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.